So you're okay then? Yeah. Alright, I just got the download. Shot him in the stomach, they said. And that's my girl. There, there. Walk it up. Good for you. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Killer Casting. I am your host, Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director uh, for TV, film, podcasts, video games, commercials, you name it. I will cast it. I will cast your bar mitzvah if you'd like me to. I will do anything, almost anything. Um, And with me today, my ever faithful wingman, Dean Laffin from Australia. How are you, Dean? I'm very well, Lisa. I'm, a, I'm more than a little bit sad that uh, this series of Fargo has come to an end. Uh, but it, the pain is lessened by the fact, of course, that we just kicked off with the brand new True Detective, um, and that episode uh, is just dropped. But so it's sort of a one door uh, one door closes, another door opens. So onwards we go. It's been quite a journey. And joining us to to end this journey to to see Fargo into the sunset is our friend, friend of the podcast, Terry Knickerbocker. Hello. Hello. Hello, Lisa and Dean. That is so nice. Nice to be here. I'm so glad you're here to talk about the incredible performances in Fargo that we have witnessed low these 10 episodes. And I want to get Terry's take on what he, how he sees uh, the arcs of these characters, you know, as they finished, finished, they did. And, and how did they stick the landing if they stuck the landing? And let's um, just, Terry, do you have any thoughts just in general that you want to kick us off with about the show? Well, I mean, I think, it was so interesting to see this wild character that I'm sure you spent time talking about that the Sam Spruill character and how, I mean, just the, you know, he talks like Yoda. I mean, you know, it's just like <laughs> weird. weird you know. Yeah. He does have, well, he's got sort of a biblical fire and brimstone, yeah. almost a Chaucer way of yeah. speaking. Yeah. Chaucer Vikings. <laughs> and, and to see, how uh, Juno Temple's character handled his arrival because I was there like, God, we're halfway mm-hmm. through the episode and everything's wrapped up. So where are we going? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he shows up and how the family, you know, David Rizdahl and, and oh. who was a student of mine years ago, by the way. I and bet. Bro- that oh. makes perfect sense to me. I, you know what? I, I could tell in a weird and way. His, his brother, Gabe Rizdahl, who's a wonderful actor, uh, was also my student. They're lovely people. The sons of Minnesota, from Minnesota. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, his dad is a physician in Minnesota. Wow. So then he would have needed very little voice coaching, you would have seen there, Terry. It's Not a lot. <laughs> the di- the dialect is there, but but like just how that scene it was. I mean, I love the writing this year, this season, and how Juno Temple had. I mean, she was the epitome of a survivor throughout mm-hmm. the episode. Mm-hmm. You know, every episode was about 
how is she going to handle all the challenges and, I mean, all the fight choreography, but how she handled this guy? I told my son, who's 10 years old, I said, because we won't let him watch the show, it's a little too violent, but I said, it ended in a kind of a mystical way. And he said, that's weird. Like for Fargo, like, you know, all you need is just to uh, eat something made with love and be forgiven. And it wrapped it up in in a way that I think it earned, you know, the, Mm. the look of surprise on that actor's face and just... He captivated me throughout. Mm. The two of you are in the business. Would I'm just guessing, but would it be fair to say that with this performance, Sam Spruill is now offer only until he drops dead? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well. He's just he's just like on the world stage, bam. I hope so, and it'll be interesting to see what he does next. Because- well, that's that's the issue. That is the big issue. Is he only going to be like these menacing characters? Like, what else is there? I'm sure there's a you know a whole pancake stack of layers to him, but we'll just have to kind of see. But yeah, I think you're right. He's definitely punched through with this performance. I mean, I think a lot of this, it's a very, you know, it's its such a clear good versus evil thing. And so like what happened with Joe Keery in the last episode and the mothering that he needed that, mm-hmm. that she had planted the seed by saying, I saw your mother, the Linda, a couple episodes back. And he was so harsh about that and said, whatever. And, and then he needed it now that he's been blinded in this biblical way by Sam Sproul. And the tenderness and her, what did she offer him? Soup or something like that? I, I, mean, I What do you call them? Cookies. Oatmeal yeah. cookies. Cookie, oatmeal, yeah. oatmeal raisin cookies. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and just like the tenderness of that. And obviously him coming out of Stranger Things. This is like really his first probably grown up yeah. role. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I appreciated that. I I thought about John Hamm throughout, obviously, because he's like, number one or number he's really number two on the call sheet i would say probably Mm -hmm. and i kept waiting i wanted him to be broken more me too you know know? i'm so glad you said that and she said that thing to the wife uh his wife when she when when she offered her a deal which the wife didn't take and she said he's weak we can Mm. end this now and i was there like please show me the weakness yes and and i I I don't want to say it's the actor, except I think you know I think John Hamm's a great actor, and I and I think any actor, if it's not in the writing, needs to find an arc. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's your job. What's my journey? What's the beginning, middle, and end of this character? And if it's all one note, then I think they have to figure it out. Either talk to the writer, or somehow pepper that in so there is some sort of journey. And I think you see a little of little it in of the it pri- yeah, in the prison. Yeah. When he when she gets shot, when he gets shot, but then he comes back and kills the wit, which is so sad. And in the prison, when Jennifer Jason Lee flies him the cigarettes and says, "These people are on my payroll," and you look around and you see these guys, a flicker. But I I wanted him like on his knees. Yeah, he didn't have the real big takedown that you need for such yeah. a monster. Yeah. It didn't have that yeah. satisfying. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that it you know it could have been a very trite ending to him but it didn't really have that yeah there was something that they didn't allow to break in him that felt like it needed to break and that's something but but, i mean like you say you know that he has had some moments of such interesting you know complexity in this role for sure but it just i i i felt that too i I don't know what the disconnect was i'm not quite sure if they just didn't want to have a i don't know it's like a typical ending of blowing up the monster or the wicked witch you know getting doused with water or whatever but there was something missing to me emotionally from him 
I felt that they got there, but it was fleeting. At the end, when he realised what he was up for, and she slid the cigarettes across him and said, "Here, yeah, you might find yeah. these helpful." I didn't know whether to take that as well. Cigarettes are a currency in prison, but that one single pack's not going to help him. I think it. I think it was a little dig about smoking after sex, but uh, maybe no, but, not. But this is. But look, this is a guy who is at the pinnacle, right? He's the sheriff. He's the king, right? Hmm. And the king has been brought down. Where is the agony of that? Where is the loss of his kingdom, of oh. his family, of his children, of his yes, of his yes, status? Yes. Yes. Of this woman that he could not get, you know, like I think he he needed to be brought down, kicking and screaming somehow. I don't. I mean, I don't know. It, it, there had to be a big King Lear moment or something. I don't know what it was, but anyway, I agree. I'm nodding. Oh well, okay. So I'm going to take an opposite, but not an opposite, but a different view on this, which is in the lead up to the end of the series. So throughout the series, you know, on the online forums, people were saying, "Oh, he's going to end up in prison." And I said, this guy, have a look at him. He's a complete alpha male. He would rather die in a hail of bullets and be a martyr to the cause than go to prison. And I think he would have, but of course he didn't get the chance because Gator rolled on him and they pinned him and they sent him to prison. And I said, but by the way, if he did go to prison, he would be an absolute fucking boss, right? He's going to be in with the white supremacists and he is going to run the joint. And so when he walks in initially, and she says, I like that color on you. You know, he's in his orange jumpsuit. And he's telling her, hey, this is how the world should be. Okay. It's divided by race. The stronger at the top, they screw over the weak. It so seems he's like he's thriving. He seems like he's, he's thriving. thriving. This is his, like, he's in his element. I always okay. said that. But I didn't figure, and he didn't figure on Lorraine. Here we go back to debt. So Lorraine uses the debt of the prisoners to leverage them to put him into hell. And so, at the end, there's a look on his face when he realizes what's going to happen. It's fleeting, but it's there. And to yeah. me, it's like, oh my God, now he understands what he's in for. But to your point, Lisa, they maybe could have stretched that out just a little bit longer, maybe a few lines of dialogue for him to really crumble. But it's like, you know, he understands that because uh, he says, yeah, uh, you sent Indira out. She's got, she's too principled or she's too moral or something. And he said, oh, but you, if you were in here, you would be queen bitch. Like he recognizes how strong she is. So they probably yeah. recognize things in each other. Yeah. I, I like how we're kind of moving character by character and kind of talking about their performance arcs. Just to go back just for a second to Sam Spruill's, um, Ole Munk's character. Terry, something that I loved about him is, I mean, yes, he's an assassin. Yes, he's a hired gun. He's, he's got this supernatural element to him, but he carries such a burden. Before the boat, the man lived on the moors and ate fleas from the rats. He was frightened all the time. Then one day, a man comes on a wealthy horse and offers him two coins and a meal. But the food was not food. What was it? It was sin. The sins of the rich. Greed, envy, disgust. They were bitter. The sins. But he ate them all. He was 
from then on, man does not sleep or grow old. He cannot die. He has no dreams. All that is left is sin. I'm just thinking he's actually quite a moral guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. When the son comes home to the mother that he's staying with and demands the money and then he goes out and chops his arm off. It's all an eye for an eye. And it's a little bit like Dexter in a weird way. Like, Like a bad guy who also makes sure that really bad people get their comeuppance. And even pays tribute in the very beginning to Juno Temple and calls her the tiger in that first scene where he meets John Hamm. So, yes, he's paying a terrible price. You could see it's so tired and sad when he mm-hmm. ate the sin, as he mm-hmm. said. I mean, it's so biblical. And she offers him the better food. And I imagine if it were in the supernatural or the mystical that he will turn to dust at that point. He will. Mm-hmm. His, really? his, his, jur- his journey will be over. He. Yeah. He's been trapped in a body for hundreds mm. of years doing this over and over and over again. And he's tired. He wants to go home. Mm. I can see how why you're saying that. I thought that the next scene would he was going to be on the uh, the car lot with Wayne. So <laughs> he is with Wayne. Well, you will buy this Kia. Kia you will drive yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's that's a funny that's a funny one. Yeah. A man will take the weatherproof upgrade. <laughs> well, actually, I, I don't know if you guys realize, I don't know if you've heard the news, but um, FX have announced a spin-off um, with this character. It's uh, it's going to be called Cooking with Ole. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sponsored by sure. Bizquick. But, uh, but I, thought it, I thought the tone of this, sometimes I didn't appreciate the tone of the series. I thought it was getting too jokey when I most needed to be tense. But I will say that last shot of Ole taking a bite of biscuit and his mangled smile and lighting up, you know, like he's just had mana from heaven. It's just a wonderfully funny, weird, great way to end the series. So I thought that tone I really liked quite a bit. Yes, and and I think it has something to do with Juno Temple's prime directive, which was the mama lion. Like everything's about the mother. And she mothered him, and she mothered Joe Keery, and she mothers Scotty and by any means necessary, which means I will claw your eyes out if you touch my family. I mean, those early scenes when she's booby-trapping the house, you know, with Scotty, like, that's what moms and daughters do for Halloween. They get the house ready for Halloween. They just didn't necessarily booby-trap it with electric wire and glass, you know. And, and, and so it's this profound, she's really offering him mother's milk. And uh, he's a good person. And... Talk about arcs. I have to jump. Well, two, I want to just jump back to John Hamm when she said he's weak, and I went, "Wait, prove it." Mm. Um, and I wanted more of that. The moment when uh, Lorraine and Danish booby trap the debate, and they're the mm. three uh, Roy Tillman lookalikes fucking with him, 
Can I swear? I hope that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, Um, of course. It's mandatory if you check your contract, Terry. Thank you. Like, you did see him. He lost it. It's the only time he lost it for the most part. I mean, he loses it when his wife uh, speaks up to him and he slaps her and uh, he loses it a little bit with Joe Keery. But that was also a moment of humiliation. He was humiliated. It's the worst thing you can do to him is humiliate him. It's because of his... You know, his sense of his God complex and the fact that he rules the yeah. roost, he's the, you know, yes, he's the boss yes. of the county. So, mm. yeah, yeah, that was. And then when he like punched the, the moderator by mistake, you know, you never saw. <laughs> that was fun. That that in a way goes back to the first episode. I was just about to say that. I didn't realize it until you mentioned it now that it was sort of yeah. unintentional in the way, in that melee. And it was the same as Dot zapping the police officer, which set yeah. off the whole series. So, yeah. For sure. I wasn't liking Jennifer Jason Lee, but then she started to grow on me. Like That's exactly first, what I said. Yes. You yes. Know, the first several episodes, it was one for me. It was one note. And um, and I, I was sort of like, oh, God, this is a bit of a drag every time she was on. But then her journey and her, she has her own morality. And, and mm-hmm. so that embrace, at the, I mean, she's really responsible in many ways for things working out. I think it started when Indira left uh, her Dot's case file or Nadine's case file with her and there's that really great scene where she opens it up and she's kind of weary but then she just looks at the photographs of of, uh, Dot being beaten so bad and you actually see her jaw drop a bit and her eyes widen. It's terrifically subtle. um, But it's at that point she goes, ah, okay, right, okay, there's a story here and I think it, it starts from there. Not just, you're you're absolutely right because that's what she talks about in the last episode. It's about payback for mm-hmm. every battered woman, which mm-hmm. starts to make you go, "Whoa, what happened to this lady?" Which we don't know. I read an interview with Noah Hawley because they were talking about the domestic violence theme that was one of the main themes, along with debt, and uh, the theme encapsulated in this particular episode, the final episode, is the opposite of, of that, which is forgiveness. It's this whole episode yes. that seems to me to be about forgiveness of debt, whether it's monetary or emotional or whatever. But his mother wrote extensively on domestic violence, and the, he said he remembers mm. having dinners with um, Andrea Dworkin and and you know, people would drop into the house and he was privy to those conversations and they were formative in his upbringing and it's obviously uh, quite visible in, in the screenplay. I'm glad that you mentioned that, Dean, because I meant to mention it before that his mom, Louise Armstrong, was a real thinker and a feminist mm. warrior and she actually really broke the taboo talking about incest. That was really yeah. her main thing was writing about incest she wrote a book that's called uh, kiss daddy goodnight and then and then she was battling all of these groups of men who were trying to defend incest and they're out there they're part of a whole incel culture so he watched his mom have to fight that and then of course then it did she did turn her sights on domestic violence and so and he you know and i think that we've talked about this before how holly really wanted the scenes depicting tillman's violence not to just be your average scenes. I mean, that's where well, that's where the puppetry came from and disassociating it a bit and putting it in a different way. We don't, you know, we the last thing we need to see another woman smacked in the face by her husband. So I'm glad that we don't see that much of the violence that we know has been inflicted on the on the women. But it's horrific enough. I mean, just to see his cock of the walk walking yeah. around is enough. But Dean, I'm glad that you mentioned Louise Armstrong because I, I meant to bring it up before. Just want to say that lovely hug that Dot gives her. Yes, let's and, talk about that. You, let's talk about you that. You know she's going to be uncomfortable, but that's about forgiveness and redemption and appreciation to someone who does deserve it. 
but is obviously uncomfortable with that because mm-hmm. she's you know and and the, that beautiful way she breaks it with the line okie doke yeah which is yeah. <laughs> which is is like a you know she's such a she's she has such a patrician attitude an aristocratic mm-hmm. attitude mm-hmm. even though she's from there that okie doke is not in her vocabulary and so that it's almost like that's a little bit of a tell of like is that where she came from was she a <laughs> Was she a, a bisquick kind of lady right, at one point? In reinvented her life, but... herself. Yeah. I found that hug very satisfying. That so Lorraine is standing on the porch, kind of observing the homecoming. And she's still, you know, she's still Lorraine. She hasn't just transformed, you know, she is who she is. And Terry, I don't know if you know, but there's been this whole fan fiction on Reddit. Is this show based on The Wizard of Oz? There are a lot of of telltale signs that point to that it is, and that Lorraine in the beginning is the Wicked Witch, and just the way that they costume her and stuff like that. There's a, there's a whole bunch of things I'll tell you about it later. But anyway, our listeners Holy already know that, like, like Dot is Dorothy, and Scotty, her daughter, is a Scotty, meaning the Scotty dog is oh, Toto, God. and yeah. Wayne is the Scarecrow, who's kind of not too bright but sweet, and you know the character and that Dot's, Dorothy Dot's loves trying to find her way home. You right, know, right. Right. But as far as the Wicked Witch and and Glenda the Good Witch, there has been this back and forth, like, is Lorraine the Wicked Witch or is she actually Glenda who brings Dorothy home, who who puts the things into motion? So, but I felt like that moment between them on the porch where these two women are just staring at each other and then there's the hug that was such a satisfying moment, that that hug, like, I needed that hug, that it really got to me. And I felt like this is the satisfaction that I did not get from John Hamm and Juno Temple's characters like I didn't get that I don't know I didn't get a resolution to that relationship that I felt like I kind of emotionally needed but yeah really even when she shoots him well I I wanted to see him beg for her love or or have her actually think she kills him you know like shoot him kill him you know and then she came close she was all yeah she was about to pull the trigger wasn't she terry he he said she shoots him in the stomach and and then he's uh, it was great he's got, got blood coming out of his mouth and he looks up at her and says give me a kiss like revolting and but totally on brand for him and then you can see her, she's just like, that's it, I've had enough. And she, as she said, she lifts the gun and she's just about to pull the trigger when it's like FBI freeze and she and she does and, and away we go. But, I'm the hostage, uh, I'm the hostage. I'm yes, the hostage, yes, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, let's turn our sights to my favourite character who really got a dirty ending and that is Lamorne Morris's wonderful trooper, Whit Farr. What do we make of this? I mean... What the hell? Why would you put this beautiful character in our lives that we knew was going to be terribly sacrificed in this? And indeed he is. And it's like they make him into such a a bumbling cop at the end. How can he not shoot Tillman point, you know, right there? I don't understand why he had to be sacrificed. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? He was a character that I wish they developed more. I mean, we learned more about him as a person in his final episode when Indira and Dot and Scotty are at the gravesite and they're Mm -hmm. talking about him Mm -hmm. and Indira says, oh, you know, I've adopted his cat and, you know, he left behind his six sisters and Dot says, oh, no wonder he was such a nice guy. And so you learn more about his backstory out of those, that 60 seconds than you really do from his appearances uh, throughout the series. So 
I felt they could have fleshed him out a little bit more, but you know, there's a lot to cover. I'm, I'm, I don't but, have I mean, any gripes about it. Why do they make just... him so hapless at the end? There, why would he? It's do... not at the end. He's been throughout. Mm. When Joe Keery confronts him, every opportunity where he had the opportunity to go alpha, mm-hmm. to step up, correct, to take over in the hospital when Dot's in the hospital with Roy Tillman. When he goes down to the evidence room and sees Joe Keery, I mean, every single time he blinked. Yep. He's a, he's a, he's a good guy. He's a caring guy. He is in many ways responsible for the rescue of mm-hmm. Dot because of his connection to the other officer and just caring about her and his debt to her for saving mm-hmm. his life in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Speaking of debt, but he wasn't. He doesn't know how he wasn't trained in the military because in the military and like I'm an army guy, but what I understand (laughs) is I've I've had ex-military is like they train you so much that you don't think if if they say fire, you fire. Yeah, but he's a law, but he is law enforcement and he does know. There's all kinds of, yeah, but look at Mm -hmm. Barney. Barney Fife was law enforcement. Now he's not, he's, he's not Barney Fife. He's the cop with a heart of gold who's willing yep. to give a second chance to everybody, maybe because he doesn't want to be that cop who shoots the white supremacist or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of shit that cops have to take, and you have to take it, and you have to take it, and you can't. You don't want to be trigger happy, but he erred on the wrong side of that too many times. Mm-hmm. He did it throughout like- the series. I don't think hapless is the right the right adjective. I think he's yeah. just a guy who, when there's no pressure... He's steady Eddie. He's reliable. You can count on him and he's moral. But when it comes time to put the hammer down, he doesn't have it in him. No. Yeah, gonna, I did, it just he's gonna, I just... he's gonna hold on to his cat. If you're up against Roy Tillman, regular policing just isn't gonna cut it because he's a psychopath. You know, you need even Dot's got more dash than wit. I just think the writing really did a huge disservice to this character. This is a character who knows how dangerous Roy Tillman is. He knows it. He's confronted him a number of times. He knows it. And he's in there trapped in this whatever the fuck that was, a mine or whatever it is, with an injured Roy Tillman. There's nothing more dangerous than an injured bear or an mm. injured animal. But then we wouldn't have a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, tra- but it was, it's, it was it's just- a tragic ending. I, oh, yeah. I would have liked to, I was so sad. And you see that beautiful, you know, when the FBI, the female FBI agent just gives a look when she says, I just want to thank him mm-hmm. and the tears. Well, even more heartbreaking, Terry, her words were, she's all smiling and happy because she thinks it's over. And she says, so where's my trooper? Mm-hmm. Like she's the possessive of where's my trooper. And so yeah. there's a mixture of my, so she's that's personalized and trooper for his role, but she just wants to thank him. And then, yeah, when um, Agent, was it Mrs. Joaquin, mm-hmm. sort of just yeah. shakes her head and Dot just yeah. crumbles. It's fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah. no. The series it's needs a, that. Yeah, it does. I know. I, I do. I agree it needs tragedy. It wasn't an earned tragedy. Like, he, mm-hmm. why did they have to make him do everything that no law enforcement... Do you know how many FBI agents and police officers I know working on criminal minds? There is no way that he would have not taken the shot in that situation. But anyway, it, it doesn't matter. But you're right. You know, he needed, we needed a tragedy. I just wish that they had written a better way if he, if he had to go. But anyway, but I do love how Juno received the information of Trooper Witt's death. I mean, the way that, like you said, Dean, she crumbled. Oh my gosh, that was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful.
Ever wonder where great actors like Sam Rockwell trained? My acting coach for 20 years, Terry Knickerbocker. Terry Knickerbocker. My acting coach, Terry Knickerbocker. Are you searching for acting training that can take your craft to the next level? It's up to you to continue your training in order to become the best actor that you want to be, which is, I mean, why we're all here. It's really freeing um, and sometimes scary, but it gets scary. We're going to get to work. We're going to treat this like a sport. You treat this like, you know, like your nine to five job. And that discipline translates to better work. What Terry Knickerbocker Studio is all about, which is community, support, and generosity. Terry Knickerbocker Studio. Give yourself the gift of world-class acting training and become a confident actor for the rest of your life. Classes now enrolling in Industry City, Brooklyn. Visit terryknickerbockerstudio.com for more details or call 718-801-8999. Um, so who, who have we not talked about? In what Dira. about Adira? Yeah. I was just going to ask you, do you think that if she was in Wit's shoes, she would have shot John Hamm? Yes. Yep. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think for far less than that. I think she, you know, yeah. she had, I, you know, I don't know, you know, what, what makes me think that, but I feel like her character just kind of, they just sort of ended her character. I mean, once she went yes. to work for Lorraine, it's like her storyline just sort of disintegrated. I mean, I know you can't it's give great. every single character the lead narrative, but it just sort of seemed like she. It's not it, clear. Even that, yeah. it wasn't clear had she gone over to the dark side because of her debt or was she doing that but also keeping a foot in the good side by influencing Lorraine to help it was like she didn't turn evil and she sort of it was I mean the most satisfying scene for me was you know when she confronted her husband and the girl in the closet and Mm -hmm. that was that was a great scene and yeah it's almost like they didn't know what to do with her once she crossed to the other side like could she become more like Lorraine more tough or yeah it it was unclear which is a shame well I think she was one of the two moral the main moral touchstones in the film which were her and Wit were the ones that were sort of fairly incorruptible and I think that you know as you said I would have liked to have seen a little bit more about what happened to her now that she's become the new Danish, in inverted commas, she's mm. sort of Lorraine's right-hand person and accepts the job. And she said, you know what? you got to put your own oxygen mask on first. And I think for me, that's when she decided, that's it, right? I'm going to work over here. And I don't think she would have turned evil. I think she would have been an ameliorating hand on Lorraine's excesses to as much as she could. But she'd also decided, you know, I was living in a fantasy and it's time to get real. So I think there was some sort of realism about that as well. Now, the, the big question, though, and this I can't believe Noah left this hanging, is does her husband Lars become a professional golfer? Does he make it? I want to know. <laughs> Probably not. I think we know how that ends. Any other characters that we have not touched upon? Of course, the little girl. David Ristall. We haven't yes. talked about David yes, that please. much. And- now, what a wonderful, I mean, just his approach. Well, look, he's given lines that I would be a challenge. For anybody to pull mm. off, except for him. The way that he has this stranger in his house and he's just, you know, no matter how scary it looks, he's just going to be cordial and Minnesota nice and nice his way out of it. And it's the exact right thing to do, right? Do you, think he, I, do you think he recognizes the danger or is he just so Minnesota nice that he doesn't clock it? Because Scotty doesn't seem to clock it either. 
you know, she's coming up saying, oh, you know, uh, I, uh, she's talking about an animal or something again. And the two of them are behaving like Monk is totally normal. And it's only Dot that's sitting there going, if I don't manage to, you know, she can't MacGyver or, or you know, violence her way out of this. She's got to use her brain and try to get to him. Otherwise, all three of them are dead, right? He's going to do an Anton Chigurh and just lay waste. So, so I don't think they got it. I don't think they were acting. I think they were just being themselves. Is it that they've never seen evil, so they don't even recognize when evil sits at their table? And Possibly. I don't know. What do you think, Terry? Well, I mean, his mother is Jennifer Jason Lee. So that time yeah. when he when when she says we're going to take care of you, mom, and they take away his his wheelchair, he's numbed out. I, mm. I, I don't think it's that he doesn't. Re- I think he's there's a filter there mm. that that he's forever a kind little boy yeah. because otherwise he will have seen too much. Yeah. You know, speaking. I mean, going back to to maybe Louise Armstrong and what battered people have to do to survive and the puppetry and all that like he's become a bit of a puppet and um i just you know he he kind of ends up where he starts that's the journey mm-hmm. you know uh he, he starts there and then he's like broken and he's in the hospital and he doesn't know what's going on and he's lost his wife and there's crazy stuff happening and his mother is acting really weird and and i don't know if he's earned any new knowledge i think he's just like back open for business and, yeah. and there's something in me that wishes the that that works it's we're, we're back to you know in, in sort of good story structure the the new stasis it's like what happens in Streetcar Named Desire after Blanche goes away. Right. Well, they have a baby. He didn't exactly go on the hero's journey, did he? There was no, <laughs> no there was no, yeah, no, he, no, no call to action, no recruiting of friends, no setback. No. <laughs> he's not Luke Skywalker. In a normal, normal, in a normal TV series, he would be jaded and suspicious and have the, his innocence completely blown away. And maybe it's kind of a genius turn that we don't do that, that he's able to just go back to placid waters, you know, go back to, I don't know, I forget what he says in the beginning episode, something, I just want to go, you know, watch Real Housewives and play skee-ball. I don't know. He says something that is just so, you know, bucolic about, I just want to go watch TV and play ball with my daughter. You know, that's all he really wants. And I think that mercifully, that's what he gets at the end. He gets to make chili and watch the game and have a beer. I found him completely delightful. I was just besotted by him. You know, I don't know any other actor, you know, if in another actor's hands, I would be like, this is an idiot. Like what's, you know, there's nothing satisfying here. But you can see the the safe harbor he provides for Juno. I mean, you could not have a more, you know, what is it, 180 or 360 from Tillman um, yep. than this character. Just to note, uh, while we're hopping from character to characters, I it was, uh, I think, Lisa, we discussed whether, um, Agents Meyer and uh, Joaquin were going to make it through, but it was good that they got their moment with Roy, over Roy, so that was uh, good to see. And I also thought, um, in some respects, um, Karen's uh, father, Odin, Odin Little, he was almost worse than Roy in, in some regards, yeah. and so it was nice to see him get his comeuppance there with... Um, I like... Did you say something, huh? Yeah, like, <laughs> like I, I, wasn't, I wasn't, like, horrified. I was there like, yeah, you jerk. Um <laughs> But like you look at David Rizdahl's return to like normal, 
It, it would be as if in Breaking Bad, uh, Walter White went back to being a chemistry professor, you know, in high school. Like, you know, like uh, even if there was, this would be the scene I would want to write. He's in the Kia dealership. Yeah. And in, when they come to him in, in that earlier scene, he says, well, a car for a car. And, you know, and they say, what about this? No, no, no. Make him pay for the tinted windows or something. There's just one little kind one of. One little thing that. Like. For he, him, he, grew, is he got a, yeah. some balls. Yeah, yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, well, mm. that's not the way it went. Going back to Officer Wit for a second, bringing up his biography of having sisters and the way that the camera mm. lingered on his grave, I'm thinking that somewhere down the line, see, you know, the next season, we're going to see those sisters. Mm. Some I somehow because oh. they they do kind of seed that kind of stuff, and that that seems unresolved to me. The way mm. that they mention the sisters and they then they lingered on beloved brother on the headstone. Mm. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. I feel like that might be coming. I mean, they have a way of Easter egging those kinds of things. Just on that point of Easter eggs, uh, uh, I did. I can't take credit for this one, but uh, I did read that somebody pointed out that for the first, this is the first series, which although it has contained plenty of little callbacks to both the movie and other Cohen films and previous series. Uh, there's a theme at one point. It's Mr. Wrench theme. The music for that plays at one point in here. But as far as I can tell, there are, unlike the previous four episodes, none of the characters that appear in this series have been in any of the previous series or seasons rather, which since this one is the most recent, you know, if it was season four and it was set in 1950, that makes sense. But but it's uh, it's the first one that doesn't. There's nobody popping up like Mike did. Uh, from, you know, he, he transformed from Satchel in season four into um, Mike in The the Killer in, in season three. So there's none of that has happened this year. And that sort of also talks to the fact that Noah was, has been quite clear that this season, he wanted to write a much more contained story, uh, a much simpler story, yeah. and focus in on the characters and not have this labyrinth plotting and overlapping characters and the typical really complicated Fargo thing where you've got to watch every scene and, and listen carefully. Uh, this one was much more lineal, uh, although when it's weird ways, but um, nonetheless. And just on that point too, the pacing of this episode, I loved it. Noah could do this because he did the thing that The Sopranos did. I think they were the first ones to do it, where they would jam all the, not jam, but they would write it such that all the action was in the penultimate episode. Yeah. And then the final episode, as this one is, it's almost an epilogue. It's almost like an after the credits scene, you know, that they, they toss in these days on the superhero movies. So it's like all the action happens in the penultimate one, although it got finished off, of course, in the first 15 minutes. But as you said, Terry, it was 15 minutes in, the militia are all destroyed, Roy is captured, Wit's dead. Doth's rescued. She's had a rapprochement with Gator. And I'm and now I'm like, she's in the police car. So she's going back home in a police car the same way she left at the start of the first episode. And I'm like, we we got like 30 minutes to go. What the yeah, hell are that they was a, cover? Right? That was a big I knew there was other shoes that were gonna drop because everything got resolved. When when she, when she shot Ham like 10 minutes into the thing, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Because that's usually exactly. at the end. You know, I was like, wow. They're, they're, and I like that upending the structure. I think that that is really interesting and not in the rhythm that we're used to. But it, but the only thing is, people for people like us who watch so much TV, we know okay, the story is not at, over. There's yep. there's a lot to ha- that's going to happen, and how what's going to happen now. So it, in a way, it kind of gives itself away a little bit. Yeah. Oh well, but it also it, it builds the tension because you're trying to imagine. Well, where do they? Where's he going to go from here? 
it's a little bit like JJ um, Abrams, like what's in the box, right? So uh, I liked it and I was like, oh, where, where could this possibly go? So, you know, which kind of leads us into the, I love the way that they had the, you know, the jump in time. And mm-hmm. I read an interview with Noah and they said, why do you have this jump in time? And he said, well, he, he felt like the action part of the story had finished. And he said, I wanted you to understand that John Hamm had to be convicted in prison and, and he's been lulled into a false sense of security that, okay, he's in prison for the rest of his life, but this is as bad as it's going to get, right? Mm. And then, of course, Lorraine turns up and that's not true. And then at the same time, it's 12 months later, Lorraine's money has done a good job of renovating the burnt to the ground. Yeah, you know, I noticed house. that. Their house yeah, is, it's is like, put back together. Like, that was that was a bulldozed job. Come on. And, and when she opens the door, there's a ladder in the background, like they're still renovating. It's like, yeah. Anyway, but Dot obviously is believing that, okay, that was a year ago and that's all behind us. And she's in a happy place. And, of course, as soon as she walks in the door and you see Wayne on the couch acting weird, you go, oh. That was such a great tableau. Yeah, I know what's coming. We know what's over. Well, we know it's not over. So I was going to say that, Terry, I pay a lot of attention to wardrobe. And I loved that in the scene where they're visiting Wit's grave, that you can just see the peak of Juno's little yellow sweater that is so emblematic. Mm-hmm. In much of the series, she wears yellow. A yellow, she has got like five yellow sweaters that she wears in the first few episodes. And that sweater goes away when she's, you know, obviously when she's captive and, and everything, but then it comes back and this little yellow sweater. I just love those details Mm. well anything else we can say about this this i think that i was really satisfied with the ending i the penultimate episode i was not a fan of as dean knows and i've had issues with some of the storytelling but there was something that made me really smile about this 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 chili dinner with the weirdest people at the table you could imagine and fighting a murderer with kindness i know seems so woke Mm. and so bougie and so whatever but (laughs) she really just unburdened him of his curse yep which was so much more powerful than shooting him with a bazooka or whatever yep I think the the way that that whole scene unfolded was fantastic. And as we've said, you know, the, one of the main themes has been debt. And also people get their comeuppance as, you know, as as they deserve, except for wit, as we've already covered. And, again, an interview with Noah who said that we have this idea in, in the, and it's talking about the US, but it's probably true uh, globally, I think, that people who don't repay their debts are bad people. And Dot uses this sort of theme when she's talking to Monk as well. And he said, so for example, he said, it's kind of Kafka-esque. If you've got student loans and it takes you 30 years to pay them off, when you pay them off, you're a good person. But until you don't, you're kind of in this limbo, right? It's like, Mm. if you fail to repay the debt, you're a bad person. If you do, you're a good person. So in that limbo land, you're both moral and immoral because it's not clear yet what you're going to do. So it's almost like Schrodinger's cat, you know, is it in the box or is it is it alive or dead? And then, of course, we bring in this theme of forgiveness, which Dot had for Gator, and now she's trying to convince in this tense scene whether she gets them into cooking. And I, I love the way she had the balls to say, look, you know, this is chilly night, so you either got to wash your hands and help or we're going to or we have to do this later. Not okay, go ahead and kill us. Like that's not even an option. So this last 15 minutes I just loved and because of the structure that I spoke about before and it being an epilogue, there was time to just let that soak and let the the exposition monk have his little weird ancient language sort of this is my backstory. And this last 15 minutes again we go back to the Cohens, it was almost a reimagining of the nearly the end of No Country for Old Men. 
So when Anton Chigurh goes, which I've never seen, the- are you going to spoil it for me? I've never seen that movie. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry, like, Liz, but there, there, there are a lot of people. But anyway, they're listening. But okay, I'll, I'll try, I'll, I'll, I'll try as, as little as possible. Okay. So Josh Brolin's character, Llewellyn, his wife is Carla Jean. Now, Llewellyn makes a deal with Anton Chigurh, and then he kind of, well, Chigurh feels he welches on it. So he goes to pay his wife a visit long after the fact. And he has the same attitude as Monk, that Monk's like, a debt is a debt and it must be paid. Chigurh is like, a deal is a deal, and I can't help you with that, right? And he's he famously tosses a coin and he offers people, if, if it comes, if you call it right, he'll leave you alive. But if you call heads and it's tails, you die, right? So you get a 50-50 chance. Terry, you've seen No Country, I assume? I have, but I'm I'm thinking about Miller's Crossing. I'm thinking about the oh, whole my, Cohen. my favorite movie of all time, yeah. Terry. I mean, I'm thinking about John Turturro in the in the woods. I mean, I'm just there's mm. this operatic morality that they take lots of time with. Mm. Yes, I think this is the theme. You know, this is what they're so good at is mm-hmm. like slowing down time. And then speeding it up, and uh, I'm thinking about Blood Simple. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a, it's all woven throughout. And it's funny you mentioned the word operatic because uh, a friend of mine in uh, Gainesville, in Florida, who, who studied film for many years. Hello, Anthony. By the way, he's given me some little nuggets that I've used. So thank you for that, Anthony. After he watched the final episode, he sent me a short message and said, "What a fucking opera that was!" <laughs> and I, so, and it, and it really was. And I just to finish off my contributions it was almost a three-part act the way that she convinced she's she's trying to stop monk from killing her and her entire family and so first she sort of pokes holes in this thing oh he wouldn't have killed he wouldn't have killed her family he was very precise actually you're right no you're right you're right chigur would but he wouldn't have but uh, he says a debt must be paid and she says no it doesn't no what if you can't pay it you know, what if you lose your job? What if that? So she's trying to make him understand that he's got choices. So first of all, she sort of confronts him on the on the concept or the belief that a debt must be paid. <clears throat> and then she says, <clears throat> she gets practical and says, you know, you took this job on. You right. knew the risk and you got hurt. You can't blame the chair when you stub your toe on the chair. And you can see his face is trying to process this. He's like, <laughs> you're making too much sense to me, you know. And And then she says, she moves into the forgiveness part and she says uh, something about, yes, that's what they do to us, but mm. we don't have to take it. And so she gives him the out. It's almost like you have free choice. You have free will. How do you want to go with this? Then she offers him the cake made with love and then he, he eats the cake. And yes, as you say, Lisa, it's a bit sort of fantastical, but I think it works for me. And he final scene where, you know, where he just contorts his face into this, this, this ecstatic, you know, kind of... Uh, He's transported almost. And yeah. I just, it finished and I just went, oh, what a fucking ending. That was absolutely brilliant. But what you almost said there, Dean, is she she aligns herself with him. Like her Correct. tragedy, right. she she makes them the same. He says, yes. we're both victims. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? It, he has this binary idea of the hunter and the hunted, right? And he has to be the stalker. And she's saying, actually, we're all puppets in this thing. We're quite alike, you and I. Mm-hmm. And and it's really the deal she offered to Joe Keery, and it's really the deal she offered to John Hamm's third wife, mm-hmm. right? Mm. She offers these moral opportunities to change sides. It's okay, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who took the one. 
The others yep. didn't. Right. Look what happened to yeah. them. Yeah. yeah well, my goodness gracious, what a season. And I'm so glad that we got to finish it off together with your insights, Terry. Thank you so much um, for joining us. This is your third time at BAT on Killer yeah, Casting. Bless you. He's our only triple header MVP, folks. So uh, I love give that. it up big time for, for Terry. And certainly Thank if you. you're an actor and you're in New York, Terry, do you, do you teach on Zoom or is it all in person? Is your school? I, I coach on Zoom when I need to, and I often do with people in California. And I did teach on Zoom for a year and a half during the old pandemic, but we're back mm-hmm. in person, and I like to do that. So yeah. it, you got to come to Brooklyn to get the magic. I, um, always, always, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's no place like Brooklyn. So if you're a, an actor who wants phenomenal training with a master teacher and a wonderful team of people to surround you in your journey to become a great actor like Juno Temple or like David Rizdal or the many actors who performed, then I think you need to check out Terry Knickerbocker Studio. Um, you can find them online. Um, I hope that Terry will come back and you know oh. for the next crazy show that we cover and talk about or talk about whatever you want to talk about. Anything you want to talk about, you come on back and tell us your thoughts. I'm going to give you uh, a teaser. Thank you so much for those kind words. But I want to say two things. One, Dean, I since the last time we spoke, I've watched season one and two of Fisk which my oh. family ad- adores, <laughs> which is this crazy it's... Australian wacky comedy. And I love it. And I know there's another season, but we don't have it yet. So I want to watch that. I'm really pleased and a bit surprised that you liked it because my wife and I watched it and it is such a uniquely Australian style of comedy. It's bone dry, mm. super, super dry. And there's not a joke in the entire thing. It's all this awkward comedy. And I just thought, yeah, look, it's done well here, but it won't do well. You know, it's not going to play anywhere else. And yet... A couple of months ago, I read that it was like the third biggest show on Netflix in one week globally. And I went, Whoa. oh, okay, wow. My my 10-year-old son loves it. Right. right? We love it. <laughs> and we love it. So there's that. And then I want to say I just started coaching Leslie Bibb for season three of White Lotus. That's right. Um, oh, wow. And I've read, I've read it, and it's going to be wild. It starts shooting in Thailand. Yes. Uh at the four seasons there, they're going to be five months in Thailand, and it's a it's Walt Goggins and yeah, I just saw uh, that Carrie Coon and oh uh, my god, what a cast! It's so trippy that you just said that because I just pulled up a Variety article last night. Yeah, we got Walt Goggins, uh, Sarah Catherine Cook, yeah, Patrick Schwarzenegger. And yeah. then Leslie Bibb, Jason Isaacs, Michelle Monaghan, Parker Posey. Oh, my gosh. It's, uh, yeah. uh, Morgan it's, it's O'Reilly. Just it's just, yeah. And Thailand. And Thailand. Yeah. And Thailand, yeah. Australia was apparently throwing its hat into the ring trying to get them to come here, but I guess they got better tax breaks in Thailand or something. But um, it'll, it'll be so fun to see. It'd be nice to talk about that next time or anything yes. else you want. That's we, fun. You, yeah. You've got it. You, you said it. So now we have to have you on. Um, but for <laughs> now, Terry, thank you so much for joining us. Dino, as always, thank you for being my wingman. And for now, this is Killer Castin signing off. Killer Casting is a concept created by her, Lisa Zambetti. It is produced by me, Dean Laffin. Logo art by my beautiful wife, April Laffin. And our theme music, We Are Beautiful, comes from them. That would be Hollywood legends, Amphibious Zoo Music. Until next time, Killer Casting out.